Hello, and welcome to the 12th edition of Talking Solutions, the podcast of the Association for Solution-Focused Hypnotherapy. I'm Sally Hare. And I'm Trevor Eddles, and we're both experienced solution-focused hypnotherapists. Today, we're really pleased to have Andy Workman with us. Welcome, Andy, and thank you for joining us today. No, not at all. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's good to see you both. Andy Workman has been a solution-focused hypnotherapist for over 15 years. He's also a supervisor, author, motivational speaker and broadcaster. His book, Cavemen and Polar Bears, is prescribed reading on many hypnotherapy courses, and he presents professional development workshops on post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. With 30 years experience of working in the police force, perhaps it's not it's not surprising that he has a particular interest in this condition. And welcome from me, of course. Well, let's start with the questions then. So question one, Andy. The, the mm. NHS describes PTSD as an anxiety disorder caused by very stressful, frightening or distressing events. It also describes a similar disorder, complex post-traumatic stress disorder or CPTSD, as being experienced by people who repeatedly experience traumatic situations such as severe neglect, abuse or violence. In your experience, what impact can PTSD or CPTSD have on people's lives? Thank you very much for the question. It's um it's a piece it's a bit of a pendulum really or you know how can you measure a piece of string um because ptsd and cptsd can have massive effects on some people's lives and um other times people will not necessarily recognize that they're suffering from it so i think as a therapist and certainly a solution focused therapist um what i tend to deal with is what people present on the day um, and very often when people talk about uh, disturbed sleep, inability to concentrate, um, a, a unprompted startle responses, their inability to watch certain subjects on the television or listening to radios or podcasts and things like that, that's the sort of thing that makes my ears uh, prick up and think, OK, so what could possibly have happened in the past to um, initiate those responses or cause those problems? And very often, um, although we don't look into the past, when they do identify things in their life story, if they share it the first time we see them, uh, there are moments where you think, okay, yeah, that might, might that might just identify that this might be PTSD rather than other things. So, for uh, for an example, you know, some people might think that what they have is a phobia. A really good example would be somebody who doesn't like flying. So they might have enjoyed flying in the past. They might have been on holiday regularly, but the one time that they go through a particularly nasty bit of turbulence, you know, um, so sometimes if they'd seen maybe one of the cabin crew have a, a an ab reaction, a, a nasty reaction to that turbulence and not cope with it very well. Worst case scenario, of course, if suddenly the oxygen mass suddenly fall out of the ceiling and are hanging in front of you, they might have a problem going on an aeroplane again. Now, most people might say, well, that's just a phobia. You know, that's that's an understandable phobia with that happening. Well, actually, no, that's likely to be post-traumatic stress. It's something that's happened after a traumatic event that's causing them difficulty. And if they then start to dream about that incident or start avoiding watching aircraft films and things like that, that's your classic example of a PTSD sufferer, really. 
Thank you. And is, is that something you've experienced in your life? You know, there's a police officer all the years you spent in the force or either experiencing yourself or observing yeah. it has on others' lives. Yeah, I'm afraid it is. Yeah, it's... um. I always say I didn't. I wasn't a police officer because I was a hero or anything like that. I was a police officer because I was paid to be there. Um, it wasn't my first career choice. I, if I'd been bright enough at school, I would have loved to have been a veterinary, a veterinary surgeon. Um, thankfully, I'm so squeamish that the universe took me a different way. And I think that's probably I'm, I'm grateful for that now. Um but yeah, your average police officer or soldier or any form of emergency or military worker is not brave, uh, you know, by nature. They're paid to be there and their training takes them through extraordinary situations. But that doesn't mean that they don't get affected. So, um, yeah, I I often say to people, I, I, I in the time I was a police officer, I became eligible for three medals. None of them were campaign medals. None of them were bravery medals. They were all about time done. One was um, my long service medal because I did over 22 years. And uh, the other two were Jubilee medals for the Her Majesty the Queen. I got three of them. And when I wear them on Remembrance Day, I often say to people, it reminds me of certain things. Um, not the fact that I got the medals. They remind me of the three, three colleagues that I lost as a result of post-traumatic stress they couldn't cope with being here any longer so three of them took their lives their yes. own life but it also reminds me of the, the three times that i needed help um and so even though uh, i didn't have my hypnotherapy training back then um but you don't do that length of time i mean the, the three medals are three decades spent in uniform you don't do that length of time without coming off and falling out of the tree sometimes and i hit every bough on the way down on a couple of occasions so, um, yeah, I've suffered from post-traumatic stress. Um, and only recently, uh, I've had it again through a personal accident where I hurt my hand very, very, very badly. And uh, um, I won't go into detail because some people listening to this might not cope with it very well. Suffice to say, I was using a circular saw when my hand didn't win the battle. So I, I've suffered from post-traumatic stress from that. And, and certainly, if you take the definition to the letter, it's post-traumatic stress disorder that I have now as a result of that accident. Thankfully, with a little bit of knowledge as a solution-focused hypnotherapist, I'm getting myself through that and very easily. And it's it's interesting how knowing how the brain works and knowing how I would treat somebody with PTSD, I'm able to use some of the techniques on myself to be able to say you know, that that situation is over, this is just the aftermath, and I don't need to re respond to it nearly as strongly. But yeah, it's... um. It's unfortunate that there's a, a good deal of people who are not only military and not only emergency services who suffer from post-traumatic stress from experiencing things that I would have dealt with anyway. So um, when you look at people that can suffer from PTSD, obviously you've got the primary, sus uh, primary sufferer who is the person who actually suffers um, an incident. Uh, you've got the secondary ones, which are family and friends. You've got the third group, which are witnesses. And you've got the fourth group who are emergency services. Mm -hmm. So if we took, so for an example, um, the, the tragic experiences of people that were involved in the 9-11 terrorist attack all that time ago, if you looked at that, the first group, the primary ones, would be the ones who are actually involved in the incident themselves, people that got out of the building but have been alive enough to suffer problems after the second group would be the, the the relatives friends and family of those people who have suffered 
because obviously they have the trauma of not knowing whether their loved one was well enough or they've had the trauma of that person being injured. You've got the witnesses. And to a certain extent, that can involve all of us. Some people will have suffered post-traumatic stress as a result of that incident um, and watching it. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but there is nothing ridiculous in mental health. Nothing. You know, you can get post-traumatic stress from watching something. And the fourth one, of course, is the emergency services. And that can sometimes, although they're the fourth group, there is no pecking order involved in that. And very often it can be the fourth group that suffer from the complex PTSD because some people will see one incident. Some people may never experience an incident in their lives, God willing. But those people that are in the emergency services and the military will be constantly exposed to repeated incidents. And so it would be obvious to anybody looking from the outside that you know, that gets a bit complex if every time you can't deal with the situation, you're thrown into another one very similar. Taking on from that, how do you think solution-focused hypnotherapy can help people? Well, I think the, the, the beauty of solution-focused hypnotherapy generally is that we tend not to go into the past. The vast majority of, of us have been trained on a very basic model that suggests that the one thing that we do know is that we cannot change the past. What we can do as therapists is that we can change the influence that past has on our present day existence and our future. So without this is not in the slightest way um, criticizing anybody that does any other form of counseling. But we do have to recognize that a human being is different in each guise that it comes in. So um, every single one of us will respond in different ways to different things. And that means that actually counselling and going back into the past and regurgitating everything and, and unpacking things and packing them back up, that doesn't work for everybody. What we do have to recognise is the brain knows no difference between imagination and reality. That's why when we watch something um, on the television or on a film or particularly on a video game, our brain knows no difference between imagination and reality, and so it responds. When the werewolf jumps out of the wardrobe on a horror film, we jump. We, we know that. We, logically, we know that that werewolf cannot come out of the screen. We know that it cannot attack us or hurt us. We know it's an actor in a rubber mask. He's working. He or she is working to a script, and there's a director telling them what to do. We still jump out of our skin when that, war, when that werewolf comes out of the wardrobe. So that if we take that to the level of our thought processes, every time we think about something, our brain believes it's happening now. It has no comprehension of imagination, reality, or time. And so that's why, if I was to tell you some of the funniest stories from my, my previous career or my lifetime, uh, we would all laugh. And that's very kind of you because I try and make them funny if I can. But the point is, is you're making them, you're laughing because you're making the imagery in your head to respond to my words. If I told you some of the saddest stories I could tell you, and I wouldn't for one moment, but if I could, then we'd all end up in tears. Very, very boring and upsetting podcast, so we're not going to do that. But the point is, is that people can tell you a story and you will end up in tears as a result of that story. So when we look at how we remember things, if we are constantly going over the same thing all the time, our brain is revisiting it. So if you took, for an example, somebody who had been involved in some form of horrendous physical or sexual abuse, 
if we counsel them, if we constantly ask them what the situation was, how it made them feel, or how has that affected their relationships, all the time we're asking those questions, we are literally making their mind constantly remember and go over that same situation. It's reliving it every time. So the beauty of solution-focused hypnotherapy is we don't have to do that. What we have to recognize is that that situation happened. So how has that affected them now? And what, what can we do to minimize those effects? And what can we do to make sure that those effects don't come back in the future? So if we look at a classic example, I had a soldier come to see me, a, a gentleman who had served in um, Afghanistan, at, in Iraq initially, and then in Afghanistan. He had had a, an awful situation happen where a colleague of his had um, been on a patrol with them. They were walking through a crowded marketplace and unfortunately, uh, guard was down perhaps, I don't know, but the poor chap stood on um, an improvised explosive device and he's no longer with us, obviously. As a result of that, this soldier who survived his colleague had ended up with post-traumatic stress. What he can't do now or couldn't do was when I spoke to him and said, okay, how is that affecting you now? He said, well, I have real problems with certain things. The first one is I can't go to the supermarket. I can't because the sound of all the people shopping and the smell of all the produce immediately reminds me that we were in that uh, market street and it, I'm straight back there. I'm straight back there. Okay. The other thing I can't do is I can't refuel the car because the IED had in, involved petrol. They'd put petrol around it to maximize its effects. And so he says, the second I smell fuel now, I, I'm back there. I just cannot refuel the car. And the third one, which was really sad, was he couldn't stand the sound of his own children playing. He couldn't stand it because the, there were children in the marketplace uh, on the day it happened. And he only had to hear his kids squealing with fun. And the second that happened, um, he immediately was back in the marketplace where the poor little children had also they hadn't been killed, but they'd been seriously hurt in the uh, in the explosion. So there are three occasions there. There's three triggers in his everyday life at the moment that he can't cope with. So rather than take him back to the IED incident, which we can never make better, never, um, we wouldn't even imagine being that disrespectful to try. But what we can do is say, right, okay, then, well, let's deal with one of those things at a time. So I I allowed him the the um, respect that he could choose which one he wanted to prioritize. And he said that he felt that he ought to be able to go shopping. Um, his wife was taking on every task at the moment, and that wouldn't be fair. So he wanted to go shopping. So using solution-focused approaches like rewind and reframe, we dealt with the fact that he couldn't shop, uh, go shopping anymore. So having done that, he said, yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I'm walking around the shops. It's so much easier. I, I can't get over the, the effect. So he then prioritized refueling the car. So sure enough, we went on and dealt with refueling the car. And we were able to get him to do that. And he said, yeah, absolutely. I, I can do that now. No problem at all. And then when I asked him what he wanted to do next, his answer was really nice, actually. And I got to be very careful. I don't start choking on my words when I say this because it moved me at the time. He said, um, well, actually, when, I, when you asked me to prioritize things, he said, I would have said in the past, I would have said, I want you to get me to be able to enjoy my children playing. 
But he said, we don't have to do that now. He said, because I've suddenly realised it's half term and my kids were playing in the lounge the other day and it suddenly struck me that it wasn't bothering me anymore. So the beauty of that, of course, is the fact that once your brain starts to get control of certain things, it actually enjoys controlling other things as well. It actually, it's a knock-on effect. So the more triggers we lose, the stronger the ability to be able to deal with the situation afterwards. So um, we just went on and did some general confidence work with him. Um, he wasn't with me much longer. But we went from unable to go into shopping precincts um, and refueling cars and everything else to living a fairly normal life. We do have to accept that, like anything, the memories of situations will still be there. We're not. We're not going to try and er eradicate memories. That that would that would frighten me if I was able to do that. I don't want to be able to eradicate people's memories. What I want to do is make those less pleasant memories less impactive on their everyday life. Mm. And solution focus hypnotherapy is an absolute given in the fact that we don't go back to those horrific situations and rewrite those neuro pathways. What we actually do is say it happened. It's it's something in the past. It doesn't have to be lived in our present and our future, and we can do something about that. I, th I just think one of the most important things I managed to get over to most people when we're talking about um, how I'm going to help them is that I often say to them, during the, my police service, I met hundreds of victims, hundreds of them. And for a career of 32 years, that doesn't sound very many, but it's enough because every single victim I met was dead. Every single victim I met was passed, passed away. Now, the other thousands of people I met during my career, they were survivors because they were still able to tell me what had happened. The people that couldn't tell me anymore, they were victims. But anybody that was able to sit there and say to me, I have had this happen, or I have witnessed this, or this has happened to me, every single one of them was a survivor. They weren't a victim of the situation. They were a survivor of it. And as long as we see ourselves as victims of our past, we might as well, in all honesty, our life is, is on so much hold, then to a certain extent... It's almost like we should. We, we might as well have died at the time, and that's a terrible thing to say. But the, the positive in that is that you didn't. And so whatever life has sent your way, you have survived it. That's a perfect proof that you were stronger than anything that's happened in your life so far. You were stronger at that moment, and you've survived it long enough to become stronger since. So don't be a victim of your past. You didn't you didn't die in it. You're here to tell me what happened. You survived it. Recognize that. Recognize the strength in the word survivor rather than victim. And that's a building block that we can start putting down as a foundation. Brilliant. Thank you. I, that's, I really love that passion that you've got for, you know, the solution focused approach and, you know, the moving stories that you've got. You know, to illustrate that. So to kind of help anybody who's listening now who's affected by PTSD or CPTSD, have we got any tools? What kind of self-care advice would you give that they can do today other than go to the website and look up a solution focused hypnotherapist? Yeah, well, of course, I'm, I'm not saying it was a marketing thing. Of course, that's, that would be one of the first things I would suggest to people. If, if, on the other hand, they don't feel ready to do that yet, um, one of the first things I would I would say is that be be kind to yourself. It's um, it's all too often that people uh, 
try to mask the, the symptoms of PTSD with other things. So we don't need to be drinking alcohol or using any form of um, substance in the way of drugs or anything like that. But alcohol and drugs will not help you. If you've got PTSD, alcohol just masks things and it makes things go away, but they're always there when you sober up. And it's very much the same as um, the drugs. So if it's, an, if it's a depressant uh, drug like alcohol or something that calms you down, um, like the heroines and, and those sorts of drugs, it's the problem is still going to be in your head when you sober up and come around. If you take cocaine, that's even worse because PTSD, one of the, the major symptoms of PTSD is it will make you hypervigilant. And there's nothing that's going to make you even more vigilant than giving yourself a whiz on on um, cocaine or anything other accelerant like that. So bin or the old um, hero's friends, as they, they sometimes refer to them, uh, they're of no use to you whatsoever. And if you need help with PTSD, one of the first things that they're going to do is get you off of drugs and alcohol before they even start to get you anywhere near going through therapy. So do that work for yourself. Get rid of those false friends before we start. Absolutely look after yourself in the way of find something that you like doing. Immerse yourself in something that you want to do for you. And that was one of the best bits of advice I was ever given when I needed help myself. It was definitely a case of um, find yourself something to do, something that you enjoy and immerse yourself in it. We often talk about ourselves being liberated in the Western world, and particularly when we're talking about um, ladies, uh, the females in our society that um, feel that they are liberated in the Western world. But in actual fact, our, our society is really quite restrictive in one particular thing that I'm passionate about, and that's your own time. And one of the things I'd like people to look after is their own time. We are all made to feel guilty about it. Um, there are 1,440 minutes in every 24 hours. 1,440 minutes. I'll save you the, ma the, the maths. Don't go to your calculator. I've done this a thousand times. And all I'm asking people is to spend 20, 20 of those minutes out of 1,440 finding something to do for you. And don't feel guilty about it. If, if somebody picks up the phone, we can say, oh, I haven't got time. I haven't got time to do anything. And then somebody else will pick up the phone and say, I need you now. And it doesn't matter whether it's your dad, your mum, your brother, your sister, your partner. It doesn't matter whether it's your kids, your best mate, your boss. You'll drop everything and you'll go. So why can you find time for them when you can't find time for you? And of course, the point is, is that actually you can find time for you. It's just the fact that you haven't given yourself that time because we're made to feel guilty. And particularly, particularly women. You know, so I often give the the example that if you came to my home years ago when I was a police officer, if you'd come to my home on an evening and you'd said to Carol, my wife, where's Andy? If she'd said, oh, he's gone off for a drink with his team. He's, they've done really well this this week and he's decided he's going to buy them a drink. Oh, oh, that's nice. Oh, good for him. That's nice of him to do that. Now, if they'd come in the next day and said to me, where's Karen? Oh, do you know what? Her office has done so well, the boss has taken them all out for a drink. What, on a school night? Now, they wouldn't have asked that question of me. They would not have asked that question because I would be allowed out on the school night, but not the ladies. And that's, that's a liberated Western world we're talking about. 
So actually, you know, give yourself 20 minutes. The other little thing that most people forget is that it's the only thing that we're, it's the most precious thing in our lives, our time. We can give away our money to charity because we can earn more. We can give away our clothes to charity shops. We can give our food to food banks because we can always buy more. The one thing we give away more than anything else is our time. And it's the one commodity we can never replace. We have a finite amount of minutes on this earth and we give them away to everyone else and we don't spend any time on our on our own or on ourselves. So, um, yeah, don't have any guilt at all. If you think you have post-traumatic stress, for goodness sake, get out there and find something for you to do that will distract you. It's not about being deluded or in denial. It's about giving your brain some form of candy. Just give yourself a bit of brain candy and make yourself feel good, even if it's only for 20 minutes. But the best thing, of course, is just to seek some help and to recognize, too, that sometimes other people saying things to you is not always criticism, it's concern. So let me just put that into perspective. One of the occasions that I needed help, I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea that I needed help. A sergeant walked into my into the briefing room. I was a, I was a constable at the time. And my sergeant walked into the briefing room and I was there on my own. And he said to me, are you okay, Andy? And I said, yes, thanks, Sarge. He said, are you sure? And I said, no, and burst into tears. And that was the first thing I knew. I had no idea that I had an issue, no idea that I was suffering. But what had happened is in that previous week, three people had phoned up to make a complaint against me. I never got complaints. I wasn't a saint, but I was Mr. Nice Guy. It was easier to say to you, behave and go on your way than it was to do anything more than that because that didn't alienate you and it also got the message through. So I was Mr. Nice Guy. Three people in one week had decided to complain about me. I was curt. I was short-tempered. I was sarcastic. That's not me. And thankfully, that sergeant had spotted that and thought, this is really unusual. This, in, this isn't handy at all. And thank God he came and asked me that question. And thank God he asked me twice. Because if he'd gone on the first answer, I wouldn't have got the help I needed. And thankfully, again, he, he was very um, respectful. And he empowered me because he said to me, <clears throat> okay, um, once he'd calmed me down, because I was a blubbering mess by the time he finished, he said to me, all right, you've got a choice. And it's a regarding going to counselling. And the choice is you make the phone call or I will. Thankfully, he, I said, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. So I was able to take control of my own therapy and phone up the counselling service and, and get myself booked in. So the reason I tell that story is because if somebody else is saying, are you OK? Or, oh, you're short with me today. Or, wow, what, what on earth is the matter with you? You're usually as bright as a button. What an... If you're not aware that something is going on, don't just take that as, yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. Stop keeping on. Take that as a genuine piece, a bit of concern and, and see what, what it means. Just, just sit there and think on a little second and don't just take it as a criticism. Mm. Just recognise that there might be a message in there somewhere. Yeah, that's really useful advice, isn't that? That's uh, good, good to take on board. Um Perhaps moving on from PTSD and women giving themselves more time, etc. 
Tell us what's going on for you at the moment then. What what projects or events have you got coming up, Andy? I'm I'm really lucky actually. I um thank you. I, I should have said it earlier. Thank you so much for that wonderful glowing introduction because I couldn't recognize the guys you were speaking about him. But um it's um actually I'm really lucky. I I am uh, in demand for things like um, corporate work. So I'm speaking to a number of different companies about their mental health and their well-being. Um, I go into um, big companies, unfortunately, most of which put me on non-disclosure agreements, so I can't name names as much as I would love to. But I go in and just make sure that their workforce is looking after their own mental health. I have the absolute joy of working with a number of secondary schools. I work with a wonderful charity known as South Bristol Youth Consortium, um, and they uh, work with the secondary schools in Bristol. And I go into the secondary schools talking about mindset and children, young people, young people uh, meeting their potential. I have a great deal of respect for our young people. I don't think I would want to be a teenager right now. There are so many pressures on them. Uh, they are constantly having the goalposts changed on them about when they can finish school and what's, whether they can go in and when they can't go in and what exams are required for what? Oh, it's just, it's a, a proper um, cauldron that they're put in at secondary school. So I, I have the privilege of dealing with um, a good deal of young people. And thankfully, I, I do my one to ones. Uh, solution focused hypnotherapy seems to be uh, on the increase with its popularity. And I can quite understand why. The amount, I, again, it's not criticizing people. But the amount of people that say, oh, I tried CBT and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work for me. So to actually come here and not have to talk about the problem in any sort of direct way, it just suits me. So I, I think most of us that do solution focus um, are in, under increasing demand. And again, as the CPDs, I've got a really nice busy year of um, providing continued professional development for my wonderful colleagues in the hypnotherapy world. I love doing that. No, I think there's nothing better than getting together with some like-minded colleagues from who can speak in confidence about situations that are causing them concern or little training needs that they might want to address. Um, so my CPD and supervision work, I absolutely love. So um, it's that's a very long way of saying I'm in, sorry, Trevor, but it's, um, I'm incredibly busy. And um, thankfully, I think there's that old expression, isn't there? If you do a job that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And um, I love my job. I love my job. So, um, yeah, I'm the busiest but happiest man on the planet. I think that really comes across how much you love your job. <laughs> Thank you. Thank and it's you. fantastic to see, you know, how much, you know, you're taking it out into, you know, schools and corporate, you know, everybody's thinking about mental well-being, mental health. Yeah, and thank you so much for finding the time to come and talk to us. It's been really great catching up. And you can find out information about our other podcasts on our website, www.afsfh.com. And you'll also find articles, information and resources. Plus, of course, our solution-focused hypnotherapist directory, where you'll be able to look through the profiles of our fully qualified members and choose just the right therapist for you. Right, next time we'll be talking to Nicola Griffiths, a fellow of the AFSFH, and she'll be talking about obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD. But until then, it's goodbye from me, Trevor Eddles. And goodbye from me, Sally Hare, and our guest, Andy Workman. Yeah, goodbye. Goodbye. Look after yourselves, people. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye. <laughs>